The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to the Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of the Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. Hey there, and welcome to the Veterans Report. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, right off the bat, I want to say uh, you can catch all of the news, the headlines, all the information on the website, theveteransreport.com. We are also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So hit us up there, like the page, follow the page. Uh, and if you have questions, uh, please contact us directly. You can direct message on any of those platforms. Uh, we also want to say hello to our friends at WTF Nation Radio, also home to U.S. Army WTF Moments with over a million followers. Uh, they are doing fantastic things, and it's also funny stuff. So go to their pages, like them, follow them, um, and check them out. Check out their content during the week as well. So uh, today we have, so we're, we're bringing you the uh, the latest veteran news, headlines, information. Today we have with us uh, at the top of the hour, usually we do this at the halfway mark, today we have with us uh, John McCabe and Michael Krause, both of whom are with Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall here in Pittsburgh, which is uh, one of, I've told John this repeatedly, one of my favorite spots in the entire city, hands down. Not not museum-wise, just one of my favorite spots. Uh, awesome building, um, quite the collection. And for people who don't know, um, John, if you could, and I'll, before we get started, I do want to thank you because I want to let everybody know that John was one of the early guests on this show and you helped uh you helped us build this following so now we're up uh roughly over ten thousand people per episode so it's i thank you thank, thank you for you. that and thanks for coming back hey thank you and michael Any, welcome anytime. appreciate it um so no john is the C, you're the ceo at the memorial hall yes uh so if you could describe for people what is soldiers and sailors memorial hall what do you do there what's there and why should people go um well i can break it down Two different directions, really. Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall, what it is and what people will experience if they go there on one hand. And then the, the other question is, actually, I'm the CEO of, is Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall and Museum Trust Incorporated, which is the nonprofit organization that is responsible for everything that happens. So most people are familiar with Soldiers and Sailors, as we kind of abbreviate it, and this big building that sits on Fifth Avenue with the two cannons in front and the uh, long, spacious la uh, lawn in front of it, um, and it's been there since 2010, built in honor of Allegheny County Civil War veterans. The entire building, as a memorial, was built just for those veterans. It wasn't built initially as a museum. It wasn't intended to be a museum. Um, that came shortly after it opened, actually. Um, and long story short, from 1910 all the way up until... 2000 it was operated funded repaired maintained by allegheny county and due to financial reasons uh, they recognized the difficulty in keeping that going so the nonprofit organization was formed and now we entered an agreement with the county and it's ours we we don't own the building itself but we own everything else we own the artifacts we own everything that goes on inside it we're responsible for all of the all of the upkeep of it, 
you know, the heating, lighting, um, but we also do all of our all of our veteran programs, all of our education programs, our fundraising. That's the that's the major thing that we're there for. Truly, yes, we're there for the the mission, the nonprofit mission. Like most nonprofits are, they have a mission, and ours is to the benefit of Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall and Museum, um, and everything that that comes with that. So, um, our our company, our goal is to get people to, as we say in our our uh, our slogan, honor them with your presence. Just come to Soldiers and Sailors for what, whatever it is. Now, you you touched on artifacts, and we're going to get to you in a second, Michael, because you have the you have the uh, the real in depth knowledge on this. But you you mentioned artifacts. So, what kind of artifacts are actually in the hall? We have artifacts that began with. Civil War veterans, artifacts from the veterans themselves, battlefield artifacts, uniforms, um, letters, diaries, anything related to a service member um, from their 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 time in. And the majority of the artifacts that we have, because the building was built for Civil War veterans, uh, the the what Mike and I, um, I guess. Agree, kind of agree on on a number is approximately 10,000 artifacts in that building, about a thousand of them on display. And the majority of the artifacts we have are from the Civil War era, just because that's what began the, the museum portion of this. Um, to jump to 2018, as we try to look forward and build our inventory of artifacts for the Afghanistan, Iraqi vets, war on terror, generation of, of, of veterans um, that's on the, the lighter end of the artifacts that we have. But um, I, I could sit here and come up with some specific, like, you know, these are the kind of things that we have, but um, you have everything you can pretty much imagine um, and then probably some things that you wouldn't imagine. And that's where Mike can definitely chime in because the cool thing about it is what you see is a pretty amazing when you walk through the first floor with all the exhibits but we also have an opportunity uh, through certain tours, private tours, to see some of the things that most people don't see for a variety of reasons. There's the condition that they're in, the value of them, um, and they're maybe they're not of the same interest as the general public would, would want to see. So now you have, um, this is obviously for local people here, you know, locally in Pittsburgh, but we also get, uh, for the listeners not there, we, we get a lot of people that come to Pittsburgh for various events conventions are a big thing in pittsburgh uh sporting events um you know di- different business reasons to come here and i've had a, you know over the years i've had a lot of people ask me hey you know is there something cool to do during the day because i have four or five hours to kill um so this is for everybody across the country what do you have coming up uh at the hall that might be of interest to folks and i know one thing is really timely right now actually a couple of things are timely this seems to be a, for us a, a good time of the year because it's November seems to be a very military-heavy event uh, month, but just to because it's it's kind of fun. We also before we get into Memorial or Veterans Day, um, and we have an annual fundraiser coming up. I have to just put a plug in for uh, a special event we have next Friday, a week from yesterday, um, the twenty-sixth of October. Uh, we have an over twenty-one evening. Uh, it's a happy hour for about two hours from six to eight, and it's themed the Silence of the Lambs, because 
one of the most iconic scenes from that movie was filmed in our ballroom, which is a whole other conversation for us to have talking about people coming to the area and having conventions to go to or some sort of either corporate or social gathering. That's part of our business also. We rent out the, the facility for that. So, it, But in our ballroom on that Friday, next Friday evening, uh, we will have a replica cage set up in the ballroom that resembles the cage scene with Hannibal Lecter. But downstairs, the museum is open to the public um, for, a, for a fee. We have an alcohol license, so we are able to offer alcohol. So it's kind of like a, a night out for, for adults. So that's, that's coming up real quick. But more importantly, on November 10th, Veterans Day weekend, we are having our annual Cannonball Gala. And this year it is back to, I'll call it back to basics, but it's back to being a formal sit-down dinner where we have, again, the museum, pretty cool. The museum comes to life. Some of the exhibits actually, we have actors that are portraying some of the characters that are in the cases. When I say characters, I mean there may be a mannequin that has a uniform that has a story behind it from the veteran that gave it to us or their family gave it to us. And so we have them explain that so that you're not just walking around with your cocktails, checking, checking out the exhibits. You're actually interacting with the exhibits during the cocktail That's hour. That's very cool. And then okay. it also it ties in one aspect of our business, which is the museum. Then we go upstairs for the ballroom version of the, you know, the sit-down dinner. Uh, this year we're adding a couple of military traditions that we've not really done before. It's a more of a, a fundraising evening, but we always... Try to get as many veterans and active military there. Um, veterans can wear their uniforms, their dress uniforms. It's black tie optional. If you've got a, a tux, you're welcome to wear it. If you want to break out the you know the gown to the ground, um, so it's it's a it's, it's a fundraiser for us, but it's a fun night and it's our way to showcase this building from inside and out, from the museum to our ballroom, and then ending the evening with um, with a you know a, a, a band and, and some good times. But, and and I don't want to forget about this. We also take an opportunity to recognize and honor someone or an organization that we call our friend and patriot of the year. Someone who has done a lot for veterans or done a lot for soldiers and sailors specifically for us or both. And in this case, it's it's both. One of our very strong supporters and advocates is Jack Wagner. Uh, and Jack is a combat Vietnam vet, um, very much involved in in veteran issues and in veteran welfare, and we will be recognizing him that evening. So it'll be a nice opportunity for people to come out. And we still have tickets available on our website, which I can throw that plug in yeah, now. Absolutely. Uh, SoldiersAndSailorsHall.org. SoldiersAndSailorsHall.org. If you go to that site, you can search through it. It's pretty, pretty easy to find uh, our event page, and you can um, veterans, $80 a ticket. General tickets are 100 bucks, and we'd love to have as many people come down. So if anybody's going to be in town, or if you're for whatever reason you end up here TDY and you have a burning desire to put on that dress uniform, but yeah. uh, oh, yeah. now come out anyway. It's a good event. It's yeah. a good time, and um, you get to network and, and interact with a lot of the local vets, including people like Jack Wagner, who's been supporting vets yep. for I don't know thirty some years. I mean, the guy's you know he's the real deal when it comes to that. And, and one other thing that weekend is a busy weekend for us because we're usually open for free on Veterans Day. There's not a whole lot we can do because we are. We are Veterans Day every day. We are Memorial Day every day. So we open up our doors for free on Veterans Day and, and Memorial Day. 
Um, and Veterans Day is on a Sunday, which we're normally not open, but this year we are. It's beginning at 11 o'clock. We're having a special World War I recognition moment, uh, tolling of the bells. It's actually a nationally known, uh, or a, a, a national uh, event, and we're going to be taking part in that. And we also have, um, if Mike gets some time, you can mention it, but we also have uh, a couple of new World War I exhibits and a special exhibit that you can only see um, probably for the month of November, starting on, on Veterans Day. Oh, that's fantastic. And I got to say again, you know, and I'll, I'll beat the, I'll beat the drum for you guys too. Uh, every chance I get, it's a, it's a wonderful collection and the way you have it displayed, it, it doesn't feel claustrophobic. There's enough room to walk around, to take your time, have some space. If you want to, you know, if a couple wants to just spend a couple of hours walking through there, they're not going to fight for elbow room. So right. it's, um, no, it's a fantastic venue. So I appreciate everything you're doing. No, no, I appreciate you putting the word out for us. And because the main thing we need after, even after being there for 90 years, People still really don't know what it is. I mean, we haven't we haven't one of our advertisement campaigns. It is it it has a picture of our building and it actually says, "What is in this building?" Because people don't know. Born and raised here in Pittsburgh, they've been maybe intimidated by it. They think it's a government building. They think it's part of the University of Pittsburgh. Um, so that's one of the main thrusts of our efforts with our nonprofit is to, with the money that we can raise, to put that into marketing campaigns, small, large. Facebook campaigns, um, it's difficult to do a lot of television campaigns. It's expensive. Sure. Yeah. But we are we are doing it and shows like this and your support and your word, you know, and being an ambassador for us just helps people understand that this treasure that sits right here in Pittsburgh, this this really probably the one of the most significant pieces of, of real estate in the country dedicated to veterans sits right here in in our backyard which is wild because again if you're not from pittsburgh you don't know this but it sits right there at pitt you, the university i mean it's right there and they have you know thousands of these young people walking across the street every day I, i've i've been in traffic there and watched them and they're just oblivious they have no idea what it's about mm -hmm. i'm not knocking them i'm just saying it's to, to your point i don't think a lot of people really know what it's about and so. we even have programs to get the the students in so they do know so when they leave after their four years they at least a handful of them have an understanding that, oh, okay, that's what's going on inside that building. Good, good. We need to indoctrinate them. Yep. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, Mike, we're going to turn to you. Cause, uh, so so um, what precipitated a lot of this is, and I don't want to get into the details for sure. cause the reasons we talked about, but I had a question uh, about some stuff, and you were very helpful in, mm -hmm. and, still, and still are going to be helpful because I'm going to have more questions. But um, So what's your role at the hall? Let's start with that. Well, I'm the curator, so I'm responsible for understanding the collection, presenting the collection, and interpreting the collection, answering questions, uh, bringing in new collection, organizing. I have people under me who are catalog and, and uh, manage the collection. But we're trying to preserve what we have, we're trying to use what we have, and we're trying to look into the future to grab things that are going to be needed for future interpretation of Military service, American military service. Okay, that's good. Now, you, so you're a you're an historian by right. trade. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay. How long have you been at the hall? I've been there. I think it's 13 years. Coming on 13 years now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like yesterday, but it's a lot of fun going to work. <laughs> so I mean, do you? So this is a, this is probably something I should ask before. Do you, as part of your daily regimen or your responsibility, are you directly involved with? I don't know, you know, picking apart the uniforms and making sure there's accuracy and making sure the buttons are where they're supposed to be and the medals and... Yeah, uh, that's part of what I do, especially 
you know, a uniform comes in from a veteran. Maybe a, we're getting a lot of World War II um, uniforms because people's fathers are dying or grandfathers and they want to preserve them. And it comes in and over the years, you know, something may have been switched around or moved. And we note it how it comes in and then we'll correct it before we, if we display it, uh, everything will be correct and how, you know, it's supposed to be ribbons in the right order, patches on the right side. Everything is, you know, I get, I get called out once in a while <laughs> and it's, uh, it's helpful. You know, if, if a veteran sees something and they say, Hey, those ribbon bars are upside down. Um, it's very rare, but it, it's happened. Well, it happened to us when we were in the service. I mean, yeah. we'd pick each other apart, but, yeah. um, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So what would you say, and I'm, I'm going to jump, I'm going to leapfrog a little bit. What would you say is, is the, in your opinion, the neatest thing there? Well, I start, the building is an artifact. I mean, I look at the building as an artifact and it, it's the key to everything. So it, it holds the mother load of what's inside. Uh, but I do have favorites. I have, um, uh, there's a civil war hat that was worn by a, an officer from Pittsburgh who was killed wearing it. And the bullet entered through the front of the hat. His oh, brother was a sergeant, picked it up and brought it home. We have a, um, a medal of honor that was issued to a soldier from Pittsburgh, uh, from D-Day. Uh, and there were only four medals of honor that were awarded on June 6, 1944. Oh. And one of them was to this Pittsburgh soldier. And we have that plus all his paperwork and, uh, photographs and a really deep, uh, amount of information on him. And, uh, another one of my favorite things is we have a, uh, uh, a flag that was flown on a landing craft at D-Day, and it's totally documented, and it's it's shredded, and it it just looks like it's got diesel smoke on it and everything. It really looks like it was there, and you know, just to look at those things. I mean, the artifacts are touchstones to stories, and they open up a dialogue, and that's what's exciting about those few pieces and many other pieces that we have. Oh, that's really cool. So, if someone theoretically were going to try to restore an artifact. Yeah. Right. Amateur, right? In their garage or their basement. Um, a, I'm assuming it's not a good idea, but B, if they were going to be stubborn enough to do it, what what steps would you recommend? Um, I have one rule, and, and this is my rule. If you <laughs> said, go. if you stand on one foot and, and tell me, you know, everything you know about uh, curating and pre- preservation, my, my rule would be don't do anything that can't be undone. So don't glue things on, don't uh, nail things down, don't screw things on, don't spray anything on it, don't dry clean it, no drills. You know, anything you do, if it can be undone, a conservator can fix it someday. So maybe you can't afford acid-free paper, acid-free framing and the best glass, but just do the best you can, keeping in mind that you're not ruining something. You're not, like I say, glue gunning or hot glue gun, hot glue or... Um, those are the worst things. Uh, laminating, um, even dry cleaning sometimes is bad on uniforms. Uh, oh, because of the chemicals. In it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just like to see them the way they were. We don't care if they're a little dirty. We like that. So Historians what, like that. So uh, you said you get a lot of people dropping stuff off. What mm. I mean, what happens? So they just pull up and they say, hey, I have this uniform, and then what? Usually they call ahead. We like people to call ahead, and they'll make an appointment with me or our collection manager, and they'll bring a piece in. First of all, we'll determine whether we can use it or need it or not. Uh, they bring it in. We sit down with them. We talk to them. This is a face-to-face. You know, It's the last time that we're going to have contact with the person that actually owned this or knew the person that wore it. So I want to have impressions. I want to know a little bit of the story that they tell us about their dad, or maybe it was theirs. And uh, then we fill out papers. We have a loan agreement where we uh, ask people to give us, you know, Mm. uh, it's conditions of, of, of a permanent donation. 
And once that's done, we take the pieces downstairs and we begin the process of uh, inventorying and archiving. And we, we label every piece. It's always identified to that veteran. It has an, Every piece will have a number. Every piece will have to be put away somewhere so we can recall it or search if we're looking for a Vietnam Marine. You know, we can look in, in our, in our uh, catalog and, and come up with all our, uh, all our pieces that are under that topic. And then we can choose what we want to use. So that, that's the the goal of inventorying and cataloging everything. So I was going to ask about that. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks across the country, the big thing now is right, testing your DNA, mm-hmm. right, to find out, you know, where am I really from? Well, if you don't, you know, it should be obvious for most people, but um, genealogy as a whole has taken on a new life. Um, so along those lines, when somebody, if you get an artifact, right, you get mm-hmm. some kind of um, piece and you don't have the complete history, let's say you have no history on it, what path do you follow? I mean, how do you, how do you dig into that? Where do you start as a as an historian? Well, the, all those things can tell us. You know, an object an object can tell us something. Its own story. Let's say it's a a World War II jacket um, that just comes in. We know shoulder patches. We can look up shoulder insignia, uh, collar insignia. So we get the branch service. We can look up the ribbon bars. Uh, sometimes we'll find a jacket in our collection that lost its documentation because it's been there so long. Uh, one in particular I can think of has um, uh, a distinguished service cross, World War One medal of uh, World War One victory medal with four stars. When you see that kind of stuff, you start going, "This was somebody." And we started just kind of digging, emanating. It had a 28th Infantry Division patch on it. We figured out who it was just because of the distinguished service cross, because there are so very few people that get that. We were able to backtrack and and identify. Then we found a picture of them wearing it. So, you know, it's like amazing what we can do just by forensic, kind of forensic uh, archiving or curating. That's fascinating stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you you work, do you interact with or or work with or have relationships with other similar, uh, I guess, similar venues across the country? I mean, do you guys all, like, share information or... Uh, we'll we'll call and talk occasionally about an object or um, uh, our collection, and we contacted some museums to figure out their suggestions on how they would display certain things. Lighting, for instance, what kind of lighting they would use that doesn't hurt the objects. Um, uh, humidity control. Those those kind of questions we'll interact with museums on, and occasionally uh, a few years ago, uh, remember we've had that pistol. We we had a pistol that was. Uh, in a local collection, it was um, the guy found out it had been stolen in 1932, and we were able to p- replace it with the museum uh, that it originally belonged to. Really? Yeah. It was, ama- it was a pistol that one of John Brown's men used at Harper's Ferry. Oh, really? So, I oh mean, it was, <laughs> it was an pretty... unbelievable artifact. But uh, once we found out it was stolen and the, the owner talked to me and what should I do? I said, well, you, the only thing you can really do is give it back. <laughs> <laughs> it has a serial number. And, right. you well, know, if you can sell it, but then it's going to come back on you someday, too. So he was very he was a World War II veteran, greatest guy, very honest. And he just said, that's what I'm going to do. And we contacted the museum and we facilitated the handover of the the pistol to the museum. Are so, there a lot of incidents like that where you find something you're like, eh, maybe it's not for the museum, but it's going to solve this sort of loose end over yeah, here? Yeah, I mean, I, occasionally I'll call somebody and say, I saw this, you guys maybe should look at it. Yeah. One of the one of the things that's happening for us, because we are becoming more uh, well-known, so to speak, um, we, just earlier this year, we helped put together an artifact that kind of passed through our hands. It was it was a uh, a burial flag 
that was sent to a family that ended up in Florida in a flea market, and somebody saw it on Facebook. We saw it on Facebook. They or they contacted us, mm -hmm. and and my my point of all this is the fact that somebody actually reached out to us as a resource, which is what Mike and his team. If we're not just taking care of the museum, we're really taking care of military history as best as we can, whether it's managing what we have in our hands or maybe putting a missing family heirloom together with mm -hmm. a family. And we just love, those are the things that kind of, you know, the next morning you wake up and you smile and you think, that's what it's yeah. all about. Those are, the, those are the good stories. Yeah, that was a good one. So if, if, I, if I were at home and I had something that I thought might be of mm -hmm. value, right? Because I know there's, there's intrinsic value, there's sentimental value, and there's actual value, right? Yeah. What do, do I do? I yeah, contact you guys? Yeah, just or? call us and uh, ask to talk to me uh, or Lisa, my uh, collection manager, and we'll uh, set up an appointment. We'll talk. We'll have a conversation on the phone first, and then we'll we'll set up an appointment and look at it. One of the things we're also trying to do, because we don't want to just take things in and have them put in a box and stored for no reason, um, Mike and, and and our team are truly trying to educate and this is helping us this this broadcast even educate folks on what they what they can do with it and sure call us but it may we may not be the place for something to be um but if it is it may not be in a case it may be in a box preparing for another case in the future or it may be for an educational purpose or research later and now that we have we have a, a very very uh finally uh, a state-of-the-art inventory system we are able to identify what we have a lot faster and easier so that if someone has a, a you know 10 years from now 20 years from now they want to learn or they're looking for something to do some research they can contact us and we more likely than not can be a resource for them so we want people to understand what they what they should do with their artifacts which might be things that they can do you know in among their own family well, yeah, along those lines, and I, I wanted to, and that's great, John. Yeah. I want to ask you, Mike, what what is the best way would you recommend for just a layman's uh, sort of preservation technique? Like, if you had a uniform and it was in a trunk mm -hmm. for thirty years, and you pull yeah. it out and it's in pristine condition, mm -hmm. what do you do with it? Do you hang it in the closet? Do you do you put it behind glass? What would you recommend? Uh, I'd recommend you can buy archival boxes uh, at places at at craft stores now. There there's a lot of supply places locally where you can buy archival boxes for saving wedding gowns is the typical thing people buy them for but but um you put online. You, you online you put it in one of those you keep it out of uh extreme heat cold and you keep it out of the sun and it's going to last for a long time like that you know if you as long as you fold it correctly we put tissue between everything if we're storing something for a long time um you might want to put moth crystals in if it's something that's wool and you've you've experienced those problems but kind of common sense things but using archival material and label it label it <laughs> so i mean for you like you know if i if i keep something all my life and something would happen to me my son and daughter don't know what those things are they they've well, lived with them around the house but they don't know dad's story oh, dad liked that old thing but if i write you know your grandfather's world war one uniform he served in france and he was in the in the such and such division i think that goes a long way to 
uh, helping people remember individuals and family people. So make sure you're documenting. Document really. as much as you can. Yeah. Well, and there's a carryover effect too, right? Because if they hand that over to you guys, then that yeah. certainly helps you know build up your record. Yeah. Many times people give us a whole file on their whole family history. I mean, I take it because uh, it kind of goes with our artifact. Um, but I and a lot of times I'll look at them and know that there's nowhere else. They have nobody else to give it to. They have no family or anything. So oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. 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 We got an artifact just the other last month. We unboxed for with them for the first time. They didn't know exactly. They knew it was a flag that was in the box, but. They had never opened it, so they brought it to us, and we all opened it together. It was in a box since 1942, I think it was, yeah. and it just said, you know, Grandpa's, Grandfather Jim's Battleship Flags, 1942, and they were tied with a string around it in paper, and it was amazing. That's like <laughs> a real, real, that's a part of history. It was I mean, a time capsule. It was amazing. And as we dug deeper into the box, there were notes on everything. His grandmother had written notes on everything. What, the, what everything was. It was amazing. And he recognized his grandmother's handwriting. Yeah. Was... He said, oh, my God, that's my grandmother's handwriting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do, do either of you, and this is, gonna, this is more lofty, I guess, or, or higher level. Do either of you ever, like, you're doing your job and you're there during the day, maybe you have a minute to yourself. Do you ever stop and think, well, oh, my God, like, I'm, I'm amongst all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And look at the history. Like, look at the lineage just in this building, and I get to touch it. Yeah. I... I don't do it as often as I should. And when I recognize that that is where I work, is usually when I'm public speaking and, it, and we have a, a group of, whether I'm welcoming everybody to an event or I'm, I've been asked to speak, I stop and I tell them a little bit about us and I say, and yes, this is where I come to work every day. And as I say it, it's like, yeah, I come to work here every day. And because and, it's, it's work. We, what we do is a lot of work because it's very important. Um, we have a, a thin staff with a lot of responsibility, and we want to make sure we do you know the best we can. We have a, my my staff is so dedicated to doing their job um, that sometimes you know you you look past certain things because you can walk walk past these cases every day. I would love to stop. I still I've been there for ten years. I still have not studied every single case just because. Yes, yeah. If I'm walking to Mike's office to see him for something, I'm walking by. If I'm going to Mike's office because I've got this deadline or I've got something else to do. So, unfortunately for me, um, I know that. I know where I am and I know how important it is. And I, I can't stop and smell those roses as much as I should. And hopefully one day I won't regret it because I'll stop and smell those roses. For me... Um, <laughs> for me, no, no, I enjoyed your, your thoughts. Um, it's a sacred place. I'm not a veteran, but I've always been interested in, in veterans in in military history and, and what they did and just being amazed. So when I walk into that place, I, I just am really humbled by, you know, the common person, whether he cooked or carried a machine gun or climbed, you know, pork chop hill. I'm just really humbled, and, and when I look at the stuff, and I'm so uh, so honored to be able to interpret it. When I 
I, one of my talents is when I see something and I know what it is, I, I know how important maybe this little thing is. I want to tell the story. I want to share that story with other people. So I can get really over excited over a really little thing, but sometimes those little things are really powerful and, and that never ceases to amaze me in that building. I always walking te- around. I tease Michael because he, it, sometimes it's hard to keep him focused on something. It's like a playground for him. Yeah. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, it's like a toy box, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Look at all this stuff. I, you, to have that passion is great. So uh, real quick, and then we'll, um, uh, so I've seen a lot of young guys over the years, right, troops uh, that I've served with, and, and John, you've probably seen the same thing. So they come into the service, not real into history or, or you know, anything like that. They come out of the service, and they become these, you know, maniacal history buffs, and they start tracing the, the lineage or, or the, you know, of, of, of their particular unit, and then they go to the division, and then they go to the service, and then they, and it has this carryover effect. Um, so... If you could, because I know a lot of the people listening, my point is a lot of people mm-hmm. listening are very much into history, military mm-hmm. history. Um, the auditorium, the, the, the relief on the wall. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Um, on our wall in our auditorium, which holds 2,300 people, mm-hmm. is the largest painting, painted version of the Gettysburg Address. Um, it's 80 feet long. Uh, yeah 80 by 30 or 50 feet long it's original to the building it was it was put there by the civil war members who uh, designed the place and that's what they wanted on on the wall in the auditorium so when you're sitting in the auditorium and you're just twiddling your thumbs you can't but help look up and read those words which are the most uh, eloquent words in american military history in american history I mean, just the, the, the brevity of them is incredible. So that, that's very moving and, and uniting. It's a, it's a great speech. You could be, and, and it's universal. You don't have to be an American or a, a Brit or anything. It's just, it's amazing. And it reflects what we, how we feel about veterans and, and people who have sacrificed their lives for us. And that's the largest one in the U.S.? Yeah. Well, I guess in the world, right? It's a canvas painting. Yeah, it's a canvas painting. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that was It's a large stretch, um, several panels, maybe four or five panels. I've never been that close yeah. to it. Most people don't know. There's, you'd have to really look close. Wow. Yeah. That's even more intriguing. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to wrap it up here because we're at the we're way over a half hour. But um, you guys are welcome back anytime, obviously. But uh, again, what's coming? And Michael, thank you so much for the... Uh, for for the walkthrough on on you know helping people out hopefully and if they if people have questions they need it, uh, advice or input they can certainly reach out to you folks mm-hmm. yeah and, and our website which we just launched earlier this year uh, soldiersandsandershall.org it has our education department information it has information about our curatorial department and the museum um, it has our events some events that are coming up that are not hosted by us, they're just happening there, but also our own events. So you can check out the, the, the daytime and place for the Silence of the Lambs evening next week for the Cannonball, how to purchase tickets for that. We have um, a patriotic Christmas concert, holiday concert coming up uh, the first week of uh, December where we have a brass band play and they do patriotic and Christmas music. It's a free event. It's a Sunday afternoon. It's, it's free. But there's a boatload of other things on our website from um, our programs to um, how you can learn more about uh, you know, the artifacts. Um, and our Hall of Valor is one of our major, our, our signature program that we have, and that's in March, which is also uh, free to the public. 
it's on a, the, the last Sunday, unless it's Easter Sunday, it's the last Sunday of March. But my point is, go to our website and just fish around in there and you can find a lot. Give me the website again. Soldiersandsailorshall.org. Awesome. So anybody coming to town, well, if you live here, obviously you heard that, but if you're coming to town, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff to look at, plenty of stuff going on. So, and especially in the next couple of weeks. So awesome. I've done both those events. I've done the Silence of the Lambs thing and I've done the, uh, uh, the Cannonball. So That's I've been great. to both and they're, they're wonderful. Highly recommend them both. So, well, Mike, John, thank you guys for coming in and uh, I appreciate it. And please come back. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. All right. And we're going to take a quick break and we will be back after this. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the Vets Report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting our veterans community. And we are back on the Veterans Report. I'm getting some water here. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, John McCabe, the CEO of Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall, along with Michael Krauss, the curator, uh, coming on, giving us some information. And uh, fascinating place, wonderful place. Um, so again, if you uh, if you're if you're in town, swing by if you have time. Check out one of their events. Um, I can't recommend the building enough. It's it's just such a neat place. Um, so try it out. Try it out. So so uh, in news this week, I'm going to try doing this. Let's see if this works here. Uh, that's not going to work. Well, I was trying to I was trying to do Facebook Live from my phone. Well, so the Facebook Live works from my phone, but then I can't simultaneously read. So it's going to be <laughs> technical challenges. So we are going to sign off Facebook Live and go back to the written document. So hang loose. Okay. Uh, so this week in the news, uh, President Trump awarded, uh, where are we here? A retired Marine Sergeant Major John Canley, 
the Medal of Honor. It was upgraded from a Navy Cross that uh, Sergeant Major Canley received from his actions in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive. Uh, On Wednesday, Sergeant Major Canley, who retired from the Marines in 1981 and is now 80, stood on stage with Mr. Trump in the ornate East Room of the White House to receive the highest commendation available to members of the American military. This is one of my favorite events, Mr. Trump said as he took his place on stage to honor the Marine hero to shouts of oorah from Marines and others on hand for the occasion. President then told, whoops, see that's what happens when you're going too fast. The president then told the tale of Sergeant Major Canley, who was born in Caledonia, Arkansas, and stole his brother's paperwork to enlist at the Marine, in the Marines at age 15. Uh, advancing on Hui in January 1968, Sergeant Major Canley first saved the life of a soldier who had been struck by a rocket and was about to be run down by a tank, braving gunfire to retrieve him and carry him to safety. Then, when his commanding officer was hit, Sergeant Major Canley stepped in, pushing his troops into way to relieve American forces that were surrounded. I mean, if you read the, the, the accounts of what this guy did, it was, I think they said, couple of days of of uh, combat that uh, he and his guys were, were going through. Uh, he served as a Marine for 28 years. He's been recognized with Navy Cross, two bronze, two bronze stars, and a Purple Heart. Um, and then uh, I guess uh, Secretary Mattis had done a review. He'd asked for a review of it. Um, and Mattis approved it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Mattis just approved it. The review was requested back in 2014. So prior to this administration, uh, they had asked for a review and uh, Jim Mattis approved it. Um, so, you know, congrats. I, I hate to say congratulations because you don't want to congratulate someone on, on getting something like that. I mean, it means they went through a pretty traumatic episode, but um, what, a, what a great story. What a wonderful story of dedication and, and bravery and humility. These people are so humble. Right, all of these people who get, um, they get recognized, they receive uh, certain awards, and they're given, you know, they're awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, to to a man, all of them have been very humble, uh, and it's it's kind of cool to see that. Um, Sergeant Major Canley's eighty years old. If you see a picture of the Sergeant Major, he does not look eighty. Does not look eighty. He told he told the president, uh, "I still work out, sir." So, interesting. What else do we have going on? News-wise, I had a big. Uh, where was it here? So I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, there's a bunch of talk about you know social media and disinformation campaigns and propaganda. You know. I was being kind of snarky there. Of course, you've heard about it. So a contractor who had worked uh, for, he was working at the time for the Vietnam Veterans of America. Well, no, I guess he was an employee there. Uh, guy's name is Chris Goldsmith, Army veteran, right? Uh, techno geek, kind of knows how to dig into social media. <clears throat> um so he was looking through Facebook pages and websites and all kinds of stuff. So he worked for the Vietnam Veterans of America and noticed that there was a fraudulent site out there, right, taking their name, called Vietnam Vets of America. 
and they had stolen the group's logo and had more than twice as many followers as the actual organization. Right? This was a fake site. So Goldsmith, 33 years old, sent Facebook what he thought was a straightforward request to take down the bogus page. At first, Facebook told him to try to work it out with the authors of the fake page, whom he was never able to track down. Then, after two months, Facebook finally deleted it. The experience launched him on a hunt for other suspicious Facebook pages that target military personnel and veterans by using patriotic messages and fomenting political divisions. It's become a full-time job. So this guy basically jumped into uh, online forensics, which is kind of a, a I don't know, that's kind of that's kind of cool, right? Um, Mr. Goldsmith is part of a cottage industry of digital detectives investigating malfeasance on social media that extends beyond internet firms, journalists, and academics to include ordinary citizens. To Mr. Uh, where are we here? Da, 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 da. Oh, to Mr. Goldsmith's dismay, he has noticed that even friends and colleagues follow some of the pages he most distrusts. One was Maureen Elias, who works on outreach and advocacy at Vietnam Veterans of America, and unwittingly followed, and then shared content from a page Mr. Goldsmith has pegged as bogus. She said she had followed the page only after seeing her own acquaintances following it. In addition to Facebook, Mr. Goldsmith has contacted at least 10 congressional committees and several federal agencies requesting help to investigate social media use by foreign actors that target veterans. So think about that. Think about that. Uh, Where else? Where else? So he's, he's... trying to so if you and we've talked about this on this show i don't know how many times if you uh do not perform your due diligence right you're going to get burned whether it's a website or uh, you know a nonprofit or whatever it might be so you you know dig into it and make sure you know what you're looking at So um, a lot of women are running for office this midterm. See if we can bring this back on here. We will see if we can bring it back on. Okay. So a lot of women are running for office this midterm, right? Um, A lot of women, but a lot of women vets. And we talked about this, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple weeks back. Um. So one of them is Amy McGrath. Now, Amy McGrath is running in Kentucky, I believe. It's Kentucky. I'm doing this sort of off the cuff here. I'm doing this from memory. Uh, Amy McGrath is running for Congress in Kentucky, a district in Kentucky. Um, and hold on. Let me, let me finish that. This is not going to work. I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to be Buck Rogers here. Kind of a lost reference on young people. 
Uh, Democratic congressional candidate Amy McGrath's military background has been one of her greatest assets in her campaign to represent Kentucky's 6th congressional district. It was a major feature in her campaign announcement video, which went viral and caught the attention of national donors. It's helped her connect with conservative Democrats in the district. But as election day nears... In her nationally watched race against U.S. Representative Andy Barr, Republican from Lexington, a handful of vets in the 19-county district, well, that's huge, are using conservative talk radio and letters to the editor to accuse McGrath of misrepresenting her role in combat missions. Uh, so there's a guy named Jim Lucas. He's an Army vet down there, and he's, he's got this little group going on. And they're going to petition the Kentucky Aviation Hall of Fame to have Amy McGrath removed for allegedly misrepresenting her military record in campaign commercials. In particular, now here's here's the hook on the story, right? In particular, Lucas accused McGrath of stolen valor for creating the false impression that she piloted F-18 fighter jets into combat. Now, the problem with that is, uh, it's not really a problem. So here's the distinction. Um, where's the rest of the story? So she was not actually in the front seat of the jet in the F-18, right? She, she has said that uh, she, oh, so here, she's been careful to say she was the first woman Marine to fly an F-18 into combat. She served as the backseat weapons system operator during her 89 combat missions, not as the front seat pilot. She did later become a front seat pilot, but never steered an F-18 during a combat mission. Uh, so on the one hand, listen, if she's, if she's walking around telling everybody that she was an F-18, that she actually piloted an F-18 into combat, that technically is not true. Right? Technically, it's not true. She co-piloted an F-18, but she did not actually pilot the jet. Okay, so, you know, semantically, um, that's problematic, right? That said, I don't care if you're a man or a woman or a cocker spaniel. A, if you know how to fly an F-18, you're an amazing human being in my eyes. I, I That's, I mean, you talk about uh, skill and, and aptitude, um, and a talent. I mean, I just, just to be able to fly one of those things, period, even if you're, you know, tooling around an air show, I mean, that's amazing to me. Secondly, right. 89 combat missions. Uh, you know, planes do get shot down. Planes crash. Planes have guidance problems and they, you know, they, they either hit the ground or they go into mountains, right? Uh, they get taken out by by certain ordinance. Um, even landing, landing one of these things can can prove lethal. So, you know, I, I get where I get where these folks are coming from. I get where the opponents, this Jim Lucas guy and his group, I get it. But uh, that's kind of splitting hairs at that stage. Seems a little over the top. Maybe, you know, maybe sit down with McGrath and sort of have a meeting of the minds and say, look, moving forward, you can tell everybody that you were in an F-18 or you were in combat missions as a weapons operator in a jet. Just don't, you know, 
You don't have to embellish. It's impressive enough that you know <laughs> you know how to you know how to fly one of these things. That's pretty amazing. But it is the silly season. It is the political uh, silly season. So we're going to see more and more of this kind of stuff. People nitpicking. There's only a couple of weeks left, right? Um. All right. So and there's there's more on this. This is out. Oh, this is a pretty lengthy story. Uh, this is out of, this is off the website, Kentucky.com, Kentucky.com. And it goes into McGrath's actual military record. She became the first woman Marine to fly an F-18 into combat when she was deployed to Kyrgyzstan in 2002. And while there, she was in more than 50 combat missions in Afghanistan in the backseat of the plane. And she went back to the Middle East in 2003 as part of an initial push in the Iraq war and flew more than 30 missions. Uh, so, well, here's a quote from her. So, this is a quote. So, my flying missions, the 89 combat missions, I was a weapons system officer, McGrath said. That's why I was always very, see, I already read this. I was always very careful to say I was the first woman to fly in an F-18. Oh, fly in an F-18 because I was a backseater and I've always been upfront about that. Mm, I don't know about that. McGrath did later become a pilot between 04 and 07 after getting LASIK eye surgery. What? I didn't think you could fly one of these things if you had bad eyesight. She trained in Texas to move from the back seat to the front seat of the plane. It was during that time that she achieved her childhood dream of landing on aircraft carriers. First in 2006 in a smaller plane, and then an F-18 in 2007. So, I don't know. Just let it go, guys. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Who cares? She, she knows how to fly an F-18, and you don't, right? Just quit being jealous. Quit hating on her. That is just ridiculous. So uh, the hurricanes down in Florida. So somebody told me this the other day. Maybe. No, it might have been the two of us having this discussion about the hurricanes. These things, these things were massive in terms of the devastation, right? The rainfall, the devastation, the property damage. Yeah, it was you. Um, God, I'm losing my mind already. The size of these things, right? And it's getting kind of underplayed. Um, and we talked about this because the, the hurricane, uh, what was the, um, Katrina, right? Katrina got all kinds of airplay and TV time and a lot of attention. Uh, and these, these things that hit Florida uh, last week were uh, huge, huge, wiped out whole towns, wiped out a whole beach. Uh, and I've seen little to no media coverage on this thing, almost none, which is, I mean, you know, initially uh, you saw a lot, but lately I haven't seen anything. It's been crazy. So, you know, if, my point in saying that is there's a lot of relief efforts going on down there right now, ongoing, and they still need money. They still need donations. Those people still need help because a lot of people lost everything. I don't mean their clothes. I mean their homes, their yards, their neighborhoods, their schools, uh, where they work, everything. And, and we're, we're not seeing any of this on the news. So if you have some time, you have some, uh, if you have something to donate, please reach out to one of those groups. Um, that are involved in it. I know you can go to uh, you can go to one of the groups online, GuideStar or Charity Navigator or Red Cross, uh, Team Rubicon, 
whatever. I mean, go to any of those sites and they're going to be able to, to best direct you. But um, amazing. I just wanted to put that back on everybody's radar that, that uh, these people have just started the cleanup down there. And uh, there's going to be more. You know, there's going to be more storms. So, um, and in North Carolina and in South Carolina and Virginia. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But uh, the folks in Florida just got wiped out. So, don't forget about them. Don't let this stuff fall to the wayside. Uh, you know, we're all Americans. We can all come together when we have to and, and look out for each other. And we've done it before. we got to keep doing it, right? Let's keep doing it. Uh, so, coming up next week, we're going to have, I just want to tee this up. Next week, we are going to have um, Gina Haspel, who is the founder of Pinups for Vets. So, that gives you guys a full week to go online, check it out, Pinups for Vets. I'm not going to give you any more details because it's really good stuff. Go find their website, look them up. Um, we're going to have Gina on next week. And more news, more information, more headlines. And I will figure out this Facebook Live thing because it's kind of cool if you know how to make it work. So I'm about halfway there. Um, but that's about it. So if you have questions, you need information, hit us up on theveteransreport.com. And that should do it for this episode of The Veterans Report. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to The Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report. Thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.